Welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast, a space for the spiritually curious to explore faith in new and meaningful ways. Open your heart and mind and journey with your host, Luke Bricker, into greater spiritual freedom. Well, everyone, welcome back to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. I have my friend Keith here on the show today. And uh, I'm excited to have him back on. This is the second time that Keith's been on the Spiritual Nomad podcast. And um, last time we really took a deep dive into understanding contemplative faith, talked about centering prayer, Christian meditation, um, a lot of the stuff that seems to be um, the next natural step for people, for a lot of people at least that I roll with in the deconstruction side of things. They like uh, unpack things theologically and then at some point, my story and other people, they start to venture into meditation and things like that. And I think, uh, you know, what Keith's doing is majorly beneficial in this sort of deconstruction, reconstruction world. And I'm excited to have Keith on again today as we talk about some other concepts of God and the evolution of that in his own life and how that's flourishing. So little introduction there, Keith. Thanks for joining me back on the Spiritual Nomad podcast, my man. Yeah, thanks, Luke. So good to be back with you. Sweet, sweet. So it's been a little bit of time since we've recorded. Um, we we're chatting just a little bit before we um, started recording now and just how, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, um, but how your own interpretation of how you've approached centering prayer and contemplative practices, how that has sort of taken new evolutions and new lenses over the past, I don't know, maybe six months to a year. Um, can you just chat a little bit for the people that, that aren't familiar with you and your work, like what initially drew you to the contemplative practices and then how that has sort of taken, uh, you know, new, new evolution for you over time? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I was uh, first introduced to meditation uh, sort of by accident. I grew up in the evangelical church and uh, meditation, contemplative prayer, contemplation were not words that were familiar to me other than meditation equal Buddhism. Right. Uh, but, but during college, this would have been like 12 years or so ago, um, I started meditating and that at the time just led me to look into Buddhism because that's just all I knew about it and was grateful that uh, some friends, which was super helpful because as you know, Buddhists kind of know what they're doing when it comes to that whole meditative thing. Yeah. Um, so really helpful, but at the same time was really encouraged to define the Christian contemplative tradition, the mystical tradition within Christianity at this Franciscan friary and was able to live there for a few months after college and like really get grounded in, in a regular practice and carry particularly centering prayer into my daily, you know, how to practice meditation every day when you're, you know, in your early 20s and trying to live in the world after that, that college thing. Um, yeah. It's just a really stabilizing thing, especially when it comes to the world of deconstruction and letting go and letting God die all around you just to um, find something that sort of stabilizes you was so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So something that just occurred to me um, that maybe we chat about in our previous conversation, but would be helpful to talk about again, did you go through a sort of like deconstruction time and then how closely associated was this to that? Yeah, I certainly did. And it's so funny to see and interact with so many people now that are, in the deconstruction world because I feel like I'm just like so like so far on the other end of that <laughs> yeah dude I know I know I wish I had that community that support community that I see now on like Instagram and in Facebook there's such a wide network and so that's really encouraging right. but I think that was part of my earliest years in college this would have been a, you know over 12 years ago would have been times where I was grew up evangelical went to an evangelical school and then was you know had taking all sorts of classes and having all sorts of experiences, religious and otherwise, that were just sort of mind blowing to say that what I believe or what I've been taught is not that true. Um, <laughs> but it was certainly the, the practice itself that sort of was able to um, be stable and not, not totally lose it throughout that time. So yeah, um, I don't think that totally answers your question. I kind of forget what it was already. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. And yeah, and I know I, I'm, I'm excited um, just to talk a little bit more about this, but I think as a precursor, as people are getting familiar with, with who you are, like just deconstruction and like meditation and centering prayer, um, like how those 
uh, were connected for you, like mm-hmm. in your life, like how that, like we said, man, like I started deconstructing in like 2015 in a way. And I know it's like a super buzz term. And some people are like, so, like you said, like, so beyond the term at this point, like, and then some people are just finding out about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's almost like been around long enough now where like the term deconstruction's almost becoming mainstream. Like I'm waiting for the mega church down the street to be like, and here's a five pointer on deconstruction. Yeah, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like it's almost to that point in my opinion. And even like mm-hmm. a year ago, I was just like biting my tongue using the word deconstruction, but I think it's still helpful mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And I think, you know, to even some other people, I feel like I'm an early adopter of it being around, you know, 2015 ish. Uh, but really that I t- the more I talk to people, they're like, Oh no, like this process came out whenever Brian McClare and I read his right. book in 2000, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, just to go to that, like as people, for me, whenever I was deconstructing theologically, I was coming apart at the seams as far as like my identity, my vocation, what I was supposed to do, because now I don't believe this about hell. And I don't think that the Bible is like this anymore. And who even is Jesus? Did he even exist? All this stuff, as far as like my Christian background. And then what really brought faith alive again is whenever um, I listened to something somewhere and they just walked through the most basic mindfulness meditation that you could do. Mm And I just started making a commitment to do that because I, I couldn't feel like I could pray in the way that I used to pray um, because my, my concept of God had changed. It, mm-hmm. it, was, it was this way. It was this understanding. Very, uh, I grew up evangelical and uh, charismatic, but ventured into re- reformed stuff, which I'm, you're sure. familiar with, I know. But um, I, my ideas of God changed, therefore my identity of how my self view changed. And then I didn't know how to encounter and engage any sort of divine presence mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so in the deconstruction movement, it seems like, and what I hope to actually uh, encourage people to do is as they pursue the deconstructing of ideas to bring it back to the wholeness of presence. Yeah. Um, that creates to me like that is the sort of essence of an, a reconstruction, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll look different, I think, for a lot of different people. But I think that at least in my experience, and I'm curious about with you too, like once again, I'm just kind of telling my own story, like through my deconstruction, meditation, contemplation, centering prayer, Richard Rohr's book, The Naked Now, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. helped sort of a, a new level of understanding for mm-hmm what it meant to be a spiritual person um is did you find the the same thing i'm gonna reach down and grab my cable to plug my computer in by the way so um, don't be i'm not a not taking off on you or anything but (laughs) how how was that i'm curious was that correlated for you in any way you know like the the ideas and concepts of god changing that moved you into more of a, a meditation practice right 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 well it's really you know it, it all starts with the belief. I mean, we grow up sort of polluted with Western Christian consciousness is like it's belief based. It's right. do you have faith and it's not a faith. It's not an open trustingness. It's do you believe X, Y, and Z and do you believe it with complete certainty. Right. And when all of those sort of structures start to crumble and you start looking at history and it, having experiences outside, outside your own religious tradition as I was having them, you're able to, you know, uh, the mental stuff breaks away and mm-hmm. therefore you're forced to embody. And so I think that's what contemplative practice is about. It's about that embodiment, as you said, the whole being of our presence. And so it's not about believing the right thing. It's about practicing the yeah. right, living the right way. And I think that's what the, the practice does for me is it sort of grounds me in my body, grounds me in presence and mindfulness in a sense and allows me to walk with a stability that isn't dependent on this, this shaky belief structure, because God is always bigger. The divine, the sacred, the higher power, however you want to frame this ultimate reality is always bigger than our little finite minds can understand. And any religion that wants to stuff God into a box, God breaks all those boxes. Yeah. And so the mind is completely limited. And so therefore we have to go to direct experience. Mm. And so, I think it's critical that we use that direct experiences like meditation and prayer to make contact because the mind can't ultimately make contact. But we also, 
I don't think we shouldn't rush <laughs> even deconstructing, you know, when we talk about like re reconstruction or what's Richard Rohr, uh, order, disorder, reorder. Right, right. I want to spend a long time in disorder to make sure my I fully die before something full can resurrect. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a hard space to be though, you know? Like I think a lot of people want to try to cling on to something again because we're so mm -hmm. influenced by, you know, the the logic being the the driving factor in the West for uh, our justification for anything that's quote true, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, we don't allow experience or anything to really dictate truth for us. Um, mm -hmm. And so what I love about what you're doing is you're inviting people outside of the framework of mind to be able to enter into the presence mm -hmm. uh, of being divine with divine in like this, this paradox of, you know, in that state of, of being that you are encountering God, you're within God, God is within mm -hmm. you. And, and all of that are, I think they do shape new concepts. Like mm -hmm. it's weird. Cause that's like the order disorder reorder. I almost think about that in like, head heart head and then it just uh -huh. kind of keeps this cycle going it's like my head then has to go through something that then informs my heart and then my heart goes through something that informs uh -huh. my head and it's like this right. circular you know revolving right. door you know yeah um but all of that is each time that that's bringing definition in some way i guess you could say uh to to who i am who i believe god is to be and how that that works you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so can you talk to me a little bit about like how um, concepts of God, because we talked about before this episode, I'd love to chat through just some of the different practices for maybe within your, our faith of Christianity and some others that have influenced that help shape us and shape mm -hmm. our idea and concept of God. But I think it'd be fun to start right where you are with your story. And um, as the theme of a lot of these podcasts have been, you know, order, disorder, reorder, you know. Mm. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like the concept of God, maybe for yourself, but also like how you see for maybe a lot of us in the West, um, what might we be going through and experiencing sure. and evolving into? Sure. Yeah. I get, I kind of can jump off of what you mentioned just a moment ago about being in God and God being in us. Cause those are two very different things. I yeah, think totally mystical orientations toward or mystical concepts of the divine but I think they're both counter to God being the guy in the sky. Cause that's the thing I was given. That's the thing I yeah. think Western Christians or, or Jews or Muslims were given. God is the great guy in the sky. It's that Zeus like faith that God is probably the white guy in the sky. Right. Yeah. And so it's like total separation. Therefore the spiritual journey is a journey that I have to go in search of the divine. And I have to talk to get God's attention. And that's just, um, I think it's one way of, of developing a relationship with, with the sacred is to sense that separation. And it certainly gives you a sense of uh, subtle control over your life, which can be helpful for ego development. But yeah. I think the more contemplative orientations are waking up, I think the two different facts that you were talking about is that recognition that we are in God is one. Yeah. And the second is God is in us. And each of those can be broken down. Yeah. Yeah. And breaking those down. So I've been accused of um, being, becoming like a pantheist at times mm -hmm. um, in the language that I use that's more mystic. And I always turn people right back to like, this is not a, a new thing. Immediately people are like new age, you new age person, because you're talking about, and then it's like, you point them back to just a few scriptures, you know, to not yeah, even Jesus, yeah. but, but Paul, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, what do you do about Christ in me? You know, mm -hmm. like, how do you become aware of that? You know, mm -hmm. how do you set your mind above where Christ is seated? And mm -hmm. apparently by that, you, you're creating some sort of union in mm -hmm. the act of doing that, you know? So like, uh, it, it's just interesting being accused of, of some of that. Have you, in these different concepts of God, there's been a lot of like, how do you see the bridging of both the theistic worldview and then the pantheistic? And then I love like the panentheism sort of mm -hmm. understanding of things. I'm not sure if you're familiar too much of that or not, but uh, 
you're a smart guy, so I guarantee you, you know probably even more about it than me right now. But uh, can you talk to me a little bit about like whenever you were encountering the disruption of this like God, this theistic God separate from me, God up here, I have to do X, Y, Z to please and sacrifice Mm -hmm. whatever it might be to to gain connection to this God. Uh, What was it like? breaking down some of those sort of concepts and moving mm-hmm. into new stages. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, it did early on. I think it was a very conceptual game to wake up to this fact that like, I can point at you with my finger and I can point towards myself and I can point towards my screen, but I can't point towards God. Mm. I heard him, you know, we can invite your listeners to point their finger in the direction of God. And we just sort of end up, all over the place Mm. and we can just recognize that god isn't this thing like a concrete object and you know paul tillich and other mystics meister eckhart talk of god as being the ground of being yeah i love that subject and source out of which all things exist and so i think it's just that mental realization that like we've i've never seen god practically you know we can't see god and i think that's a scriptural thing if you want to look at the biblical basis that you can't, nobody's ever seen, per se, the divine. Um, and so then we end up with concepts of being, well, God is like uh, the wind. Yeah. You know, God is the Holy Spirit that flows throughout. And then we have that mystical understanding then that, God, that we are in God as if God were an atmosphere rather than the object of holy worship that I yeah. need to sacrifice, as you said. But just to recognize God is so much more spacious and loving and accepting because yeah. God isn't a thing with a strong will and a, and a really strong opinion. And yeah, uh, so. um, yeah. I, our I, projections do, you know, it's mm-hmm. to have those things, you know, yeah. it's like God said this. It's like, yeah, that sounds a lot like you, my man. That <laughs> <laughs> said what I said. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, with that, like, and hopefully I'm not just shotgunning too many questions at you, but I, I'm glad that I, I have you captive to do so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with those like this sort of ideas um, shifting and with that concept shifting, like what did you begin to see within you with that? Like what were the stages of a lot of people call it ego death or did, did you experience stuff like that? Like, and how did you wrestle with the liminality in your mind versus this, these new awakened understandings of, of the divine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it certainly say happens, happen more in, in like progressive stages, you know, of just like realiz- realizing new things. You know, I think some people have this like wake up call or ego death that's sort of like captured in like yeah. a moment. And then I think a lot of people go chasing these ego deaths or go chasing some sort of spiritual enlightenment experience, which I think is uh, in some ways dangerous or, or could just be an enlightened ego trip of its own right. Um, yeah. The ego wants to have a spiritual experience and wants to see itself die. Um, Dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Go yeah, ahead. Sorry. That... I, I think a lot of, I think for myself, the more like progressive path has just been, you know, I, early on, I can think of recognizing that, you know, this idea that the Holy Spirit was within me. I was given that as a, as a, as a child, and I never took that serious enough, perhaps. Mm. But that was still a stage where it felt like I was me and separate, and God was like the air that we breathe, and the Spirit was like filling the emptiness of my being, still mm. dualistic, still separate, you mm-hmm. know, but God was in me, and that gave me a certain confidence to move, a certain freedom in the world that I could tune in with the Spirit. I could tune in with the air around me, in a sense, to sort of go with the flow, the divine flow. But yeah. I think even more connecting to that ground of being rather than God just being in me as in the open empty space within me, but God is being the, the atoms and cell of my body, you know, mm. another biblical sense that we're like one in the body of Christ, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> we share the body and that God is, is our body and we are God's body in a sense. So, and that gives a tremendous amount of freedom to, to get in tune with what's most authentically true and alive within us, mm. trusting that that is divine energy pushing into the world. Um, yeah. So, so how did, like, what did that take for you? 
to be able to really begin to get yourself around that idea of non-duality, you know, would that be language that you would use for it as well? Maybe. Sure. Yeah. Like, because a lot of people have a really hard time with that because they do see themselves. Um, like it's really hard to see somebody being the expression of the divine in the world. Like we're mm-hmm. so ingrained to think of like, I am a sinful man separated and it's only because of the blood of this ancient Near East Jewish guy that <laughs> God can, I guess, look at me. And even when he looks at me, he doesn't even see me. He sees Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. and like whatever identity I am is camouflaged, you know, and um, like this, this is a completely different notion, like mm-hmm. a completely different concept of what it means to, and to me, like thinking about incarnation, you know, and like, for a while, I, I ventured into a lot of like the um, missional communities sort of stuff. Um, I think that's a lot of people that start their deconstruction, like from a church level or, you know, ecclesiological level, they're like, they immediately are like, yeah, forget organized church, you know, they go like house church model, you know, whatever. Right. And essentially, like, at least for me, I just can, I'm consistently looking for a savior. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what is going to be the thing that like, is you know and that's why calvinism served for a little bit of time because it's like mm. an equation it's like y mm. equals mx plus b and then but after you figure it out i'm like i'm bored again you know <laughs> not born again i'm bored again I'm, i need to find something else you know what i'm saying <laughs> and so i'm like on the journey you know yet again um but anyways this idea of like in the missional community setting it was really looking at incarnation Mm-hmm. Like how, what I do appreciate and what I did learn from like the Soma community stuff up in Washington was like, how are you the physical representation of Christ in your neighborhood, you know, in your, mm-hmm. your place. And I think one of the biggest things with shifting the concept of God to getting people to adhere to a creed, to get God to show mercy on them. It's like, well, how do I like, you know, grill, you know, well, I have to be careful if I grill chicken around here, there's a lot of vegans, but you know, how do I, they might not see that as a good thing, but you know, for my friends that do eat meat, how do I grill chicken good for my, my community and have them over and entering mm-hmm. and, and saying that is God manifest, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that was like a completely new concept for me um, in a lot of ways. Um, but anyways, just talking about that we are, divine incarnation that Mm -hmm. we are a a piece of that um do you run across a lot of people that encounter your work or do things that push back on that idea or that notion maybe people that want to get involved with contemplative uh practices but they're not their concepts of god has have not really changed too much from Mm -hmm. conservative ideas like what's been your encounter with some of that I will be honest, not very much at this point. I think I'm just in this world at this point where um, maybe five or so years ago, there's bumping up against that. But sort of the people I'm working with and alongside, it seems this is the new norm in a sense. Yeah. Um, and I get it. You know, it, it the, they are different ideas and we've been told and we've been given, we've been programmed to think totally different than, than the conversation we're having now. So I understand the resistance, Yeah. Um, but don't bump up against it very much these days. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're entering into, uh, when you were, I guess this is a better question too, especially to, to rehash, like what were some of the origins of you pursuing? Cause you do that. This is like your vocation, right? Mm-hmm. So like at what, what point were you like, you know, this is so important to me that I feel like I have to give this gift of contemplative practice and centering prayer to other people as my sole focus in life. The Spiritual Nomad Podcast is a ministry of Current Collective Church a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to holding space to experience the divine in healing and transformative ways that enable us to live into the fullness of a truly abundant life. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider a tax-deductible donation to support our ongoing effort to reimagine spiritual community.
visit thespiritualnomad.org slash give to contribute today. Thank you for your support and partnership. Yeah, yeah, good question. Well, I I started practicing centering prayer. That was the first, you know, meditation practice that I like really like took serious as a daily part of my life. And, and you know, I just felt the, the transformation of that and invited six close friends, joined me for six weeks. I was working and managing a community center at the time, working with all sorts of refugees and youth from literally all around the world. Um, and then on the side was just hosting these these weekly meditation groups and just fell in love with this, this inner work, working on myself, the inner work of prayer, meditation, journaling, reading, writing, all of that. And, and then helping other people sort of journey in that. Um, but I was also working at this activist organization that was like t- totally rah, 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 like fully <laughs> engaged in the world. And I was teaching kids and refugees all sorts of um, all sorts of uh, going on all sorts of pro, uh, protests, like city, state, national level, um, overnight trips. And so I was engaged in this like heavy external in the world, fixing social change or fighting for social change and then engaged in these these silent, prayerful, meditative practices. Mm. And I think both those worlds need to exist and they need to be certainly woven together. Um, but as I continue to do that inner work, I just wanted I just felt this real invitation to just go all the way. And so I went on my own route of, you know, pursuing the training and certification in that sense uh, to become a certified meditation teacher, contemplative prayer teacher, all of that. But it's really just coming out of my own experience that I know the transformation for myself. I've witnessed it in other people that I've been working with. And I think this is the thing, this opening our eyes, you know, waking up, waking up. And then maybe we don't have to fight so hard or if we can, have more people that are spiritually awake or spiritually alive and in tune with the spirit than maybe we wouldn't have so many social, uh, the injustices that we see today. Totally. I love that. I didn't, maybe I just maybe forgot. I'm good at forgetting. It's one of my talents. (laughs) Um, actually I have a, I have a wild memory. It's like, I have either a wicked good memory. Like I can tell you what meal I was eating at seven years old at like a Uh family reunion, or I'm just like, wait a second. What was that? You know, but creating uh, space in your mind for new things. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so your experiences, you, you entering into this like contemplative, um, sort of thing that came at a time in your life that you were, um, seeking like vocation path like and you were like doing did you feel initially called to more of like the social activist work like Mm -hmm. was that like did you feel like that was the initial calling and drive and then at what point did it like shift for you you know like because they're both obviously super important and connected in so many ways Mm -hmm. but you're right they are very different in their approach of like what your daily schedules look like and all of that, you know? So like you were pursuing this as a vocation and then did it switch? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I went into college, you know, 15 years ago thinking I was going to be a park ranger and work in the national forests. Um, had some experiences in the city. I was a suburban boy. Uh, pretty affluent growing up, had some wonderful experiences in the city, seeing a whole different part of life in the world, and felt, you know, very genuinely called to serve in the city. And so I still work in the same city I've been in for the last 10 years, uh, but felt that genuine invitation to do that sort of, in my evangelical worldview, that was that like inner city, like being missional, very influenced yeah. by Shane Claiborne and the Irresistible Revolution, yeah, lived in yeah. an intentional community for four years, that type of thing. Um, so very much involved in that world. And at the same time, as that was sort of being cultivated externally, I was also taking this inner journey, which I think was giving me strength in the outer world. Yeah. Um, but at some point it just sort of flopped and yeah. you may know, you may have read the cloud of unknowing or, or, or likely know of it. And you know, they speak very, very carefully that you have to move from the active life into the contemplative, that we can't just jump into non-duality. It's like you need, dualism (laughs) you need to pass through that in order to to open to the more contemplative dimensions of life and that they're intimately connected 
Can you talk some more about that? Well, actually, sure. I, I can, I'm thinking explicitly about the the cloud of unknowing, which some reader or listeners may know is a very ancient Christian mystical text. Um, I think 14th century by an unknown author and just talks about, you know, sort of these four stages of like very active in the world, being a servant, even a servant to God, to Christ in the mm-hmm. world. And then you sort of go up another rung and you enter into the higher active and the lower contemplative, where you're active, you're, you're still active in the world and you're still doing, but you also take on a more prayerful and contemplative orientation, a little bit more in tune with the spirit. And you would think this is, this is a great thing. And this is where I think pastors would flourish or, mm-hmm. or religious leaders that are in the world are in the high active and lower contemplative. Mm-hmm. And then there's the third round up, which is this movement from and still emerging of the active and contemplative, but you're in the lower contemplative with a mix of the higher active, but mm-hmm. a little bit more contemplative. And then finally, they would say at the fourth stage, you're fully contemplative. We might think of mystics or nuns, uh, monks, yeah. hermits, um, and that that work is what we do, and that work continues into the future to come. So we think of the mm-hmm. kingdom of the kingdom of God, or when we die, then we'll be living this contemplative life in a sense, because there won't be any more action to do. There won't be that service orientation, supposedly, in the next world. <laughs> yeah. So we sort of go on in contemplation. But I think the key in our world is to not separate those, to sort yeah. of turn that into a wheel, a circle, so mm. that even the lower active meets with the higher contemplative. Mm. Is that kind of what you were, those rungs then is kind of what you were experiencing then through your, your time in the the social work then, right? I mean, is that kind of been your trajectory? I mean, I would say so. I would never say that I'm like in this higher contemplative mindset. I still feel so busy. I'm still behind a computer, you know, (laughs) six hours a day. Uh, You know, I'm still out doing, doing life. Um, So I wouldn't consider that as like full-time contemplative monk hermit. Um, as the, that traditional text would sort of point to. Right. But yeah, I think it's just really that integration piece, you know? Mm, yeah, it's really good. That's really good, man. Um, yeah, you were talking about, slipped my mind now, because now you're, the word integration just completely sparked a whole yeah. <laughs> new thought in my head, man. Like, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I want to chat to him about this and then integration. But I actually think that that's a good uh, rabbit to follow right now because I think um, that is such a key piece that um, if I can make critiques of um, the world or even the the deconstruction movement, I think a big piece that's lacking is integration in a lot of ways. Um, And I know it's been a a gnarly year and it's been, you know, a lot of... uh, duality and a lot Uh of polarization and things. Um, But at least within myself, like the integration has been the, the key of maturity, I think Mm -hmm. for myself, you know, and you know, to don't want to sound any like egotistical in any way, but it, it, I have felt a sort of maturity manifest by way of really focusing on both of that integration, both of the doing and the being, and finding mm-hmm. that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe even talk a little bit about that, you know, as you've pursued this path and have done that about how you've seen yourself and other people uh, move into greater integration and like, what are, yeah. what does that look like? And for people that are in deconstruction, trying to reform their faith, what would the origins of integration begin to look like in their life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I, the first thing that comes to mind is the, the favorite quote from Confucius. Um, who knows if Confucius said this? I think <laughs> Confucius gets quoted saying a lot of wonderful things, and he may have said this, he may not. But supposedly Confucius said, cultivate the roots and the leaves and branches will take care of themselves. Cultivate the roots of your inner life, of your emotions, of your mental, of your triggers, yeah. of your ego, of your false self, of your spiritual life. Cultivate your roots and the leaves and branches will take care of themselves, that the outside world will take care of themselves, or that you would be in the flow and be well-nourished. And so mm-hmm. that's what I think, you know, any contemplative, good contemplative practice is about orienting ourselves towards the inner life, cultivating 
the interior of our being so that we have emotional intelligence. You know, yeah. we have emotions all day, but we don't take notice of them or we don't know how to talk about them. Or as men, mm. we don't, we're disengaged from them or we overlook them. Can we be wise and intelligent to our emotions? Are we aware of our spiritual life? Are we actively pursuing it? Are we watering ourselves mm. in that sense? And I think that integration is about trusting that and that the world pushes us into just be uh, branches, just be <laughs> prune your branches, you know, yeah. like, just do in the world, go, 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 do, do, do. And I think that's where the ego just flourishes, that we're just egos in action, that we're unchecked, that we're just running on automatic, asleep, on autopilot. And so I think we just live in a world that cultivates the ego. Or um, And the ego I see is a neutral thing. It's not necessarily good or bad. But if you only feed the ego, then the ego's worst side will be inflamed, which is what we see mm. all the time in the world of action. So I think of integration as really... For me, it's been a matter of prioritizing the roots, and mm. that's for prayer and meditation and contemplation and, and taking the inner journey very seriously as a way of um, making sure I'm in stuff and I'm, you know, nourished in a healthy way from top to bottom. Yeah. It's like we can see these grand trees and we only see half of them. Yeah. <laughs> we never see the roots and we don't see, I don't see your spiritual life by looking at, at your face now, but there's a lot going on in there so yeah yeah i'd like my wife will say that there is too i'll tell you she has to live with me and hear me <laughs> <laughs> all day long man uh, especially with, you know working at home and things you know we're tight quarters here um yeah man I, that's so i love that and i just an encouragement for folks to pursue that sort of integrated life um so so important i think people can kind of uh be fearful of entering that i talk to people in our community about engaging the silence and a lot of times we may be uh nervous about that because the silence initially uh seems to hold up just a big mirror to us in a lot of ways and a lot of us are just it, speaking once again from only my own experience i began to see the mirror of my soul and i'm like oh that's really what's in there like that's really what's going on like mm -hmm. wow like it's just easier for me to keep moving keep mm -hmm. doing and too you know if i could have retreated to an idea of god that would be more pleased with me in that way like i think so many times we you know, rely on the well done, good and faithful servant. Like we're, we're just like, I want to do everything I can in this world so that one day I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. We work ourselves to the ground and we try to elevate ourselves by our deeds and efforts and all of these things. And we neglect some of that contemplative side of connection and presence and awe and wonder. And I think the real essence of what gives us any fuel to go, you know, um, but in your work and what you do, like how have you helped and how have you seen people make that transition to be able mm -hmm. to actually engage the silence? Mm -hmm. You know, like what does that look like? What was that like maybe for you or for people that you, you've seen in the early origins of taking the step toward this sort of integration? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think you said it so well. I mean, holding the mirror up to your soul or to your perhaps your ego in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um, to see what's in there. And I, and I like to just really point people past that, past that sort of initial resistance because it's so real and mm. we sit down for even two minutes and it can be tedious to turn off your phone. I mean, we can't even, you know, be in the car alone if somebody goes in to fill up the gas without pulling out our phone to stay busy. Yeah. My ego wants nourishment, <laughs> <laughs> right? Wants entertainment. And so I think we just are, you know, we have so much working against us to, to cultivate the contemplative life. And when the ego is resistant, when people are resistant, I try to point them towards that, that it is the ego being resistant. Yeah. And that their truest self actually craves this, mm -hmm. that their truest self, their soul wants that nourishment, that slowness, that being here right now. And mm -hmm. Um, when people tap into that, when they can sort of wake up outside of their ego and say, okay, there is something else going on beyond just the monkey mind um, yeah. chattering about what it wants, uh, how it wants this situation to be different or how it resists the silence, then they can really rest into that, which is super 
actually really peaceful at times or very uh yeah <laughs> always but you know people can really get a sense of a deeper sense of self um, but we're accustomed to just living in the waves of life so people get addicted to that and so we have to cultivate it we have to take time and we have to be gentle with ourselves you know i always practice you know teach gentleness non-judgment you know be yeah. gentle on yourself it's a progressive path it's not you don't have to sit down for an hour tomorrow and meditate by yourself you know, yeah. start with five minutes, start with 10 minutes. Yeah. 30 seconds for some people, man. Yeah. <laughs> start with 30 seconds, you know, <laughs> like some of my friends, I'm like, literally like set your timer for a minute, you know, Yeah. Uh, and see if you can handle that. And that's really true. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about like some methods of, of meditating? By the way, I had Jory on again too, speaking of methods, you know, uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. good old Jory, man. I love chat with him and love method stuff. Um, but like we're, we're talking about starting this and integrating and um like some sort of like meditation for a beginner and obviously we always want to have a beginner's mind like that's a mm -hmm. very you know uh very buddhist idea is the having the beginner's mm -hmm. mind um, but what are some methods as people get started and then what are some other method methods for people that want to progress and advance mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um and then i have another question about remind me about transcendental meditation. I'm curious some of your mm. thoughts about that. But uh, initially, uh, what, what does that look like for, for someone? Like, what are some simple practices? And then like, what's the, it sounds so funny to talk about like the stages of like, you know, because it's not, it, the whole thing's about not trying to be like better or the best uh -huh, or uh -huh. doing it. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, if you could just talk a little bit about some of the methods of progression as you become more familiar with that sure sure yeah i mean i think i mean if we're talking even explicitly about meditation methods or it maybe even taking a step back of just like can you turn off your phone <laughs> yeah when you go to bed can you turn off your phone and not use it as an alarm clock can you buy an alarm clock and just start practicing non-attachment to this little black box i have in front of me mm -hmm. put that over here for now yeah um you know, so my wife and I, my partner, we don't sleep with our, we don't have the uh, cell phones in our bedroom. We have alarm clocks and our phones are off when we wake up in the morning and I'm very intentional. And then I point towards protecting your hours, protect the first hour of your life or, or first hour of your day and your last hour of your day is cell phone screen free time. Yeah. Use that for contemplation. Use that to reflect on the day. Use that for meditation. And if it means just the 30 minutes, the first 30 minutes of your day, start with that. That's fine. Um, but I think that's such a practical way of just encouraging people to disconnect from the second self, as Elia Delio would call a cell phone. It's our second self. The self outside of self is yeah. my identity inside, you know, the Facebook, email, Instagram, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's me outside of me. Um, that's trippy, so, man. I, I've not even thought about it like that. <laughs> Oh, do you like Ilya Delio? I just asked. You... No, I've never, I'm unfamiliar. Okay. unfamiliar. She's a Franciscan friar. She's a sister or not a friar. She's a Franciscan sister. Uh, talks a lot about transcendence, uh, technology, uh, cyber humanism. Um, super really? Super, super interesting. Very technological, uh, very cosmic in thinking. Yeah. I dig it. I'm going to check it out for sure. Yeah. Um, Ilya Delio, I'd recommend her to any of your listeners as well. She's very cosmic in, in her thought. Um, but back to it, I think just starting with de disconnecting from our identities and phones and addiction to that, and then creating that intentional spaciousness for mm. yourself in the morning. And so I always prioritize that, that I wake up, I do drink coffee every single day. I have, I have my journal, I have some books I read, and then to really prioritize a meditation practice of sitting in silence is Thomas Keating called silence, the universal language of God. Yeah. All others are just poor translations. I love that. <laughs> and so we need to listen to the silence as if it's a language and it takes time to learn languages, it takes time to learn Spanish, it takes time to learn any language. So it takes time to get accustomed to the language of silence. So we're patient with ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, but we have to create the space to do that primarily at the, at the beginning. And then, you get you get in your routine you know um yeah do you do you ever do like um like what would you suggest for people who want to mix up their meditation practice a little bit you know like that maybe they are like we have a group i've not been in a little while it's just not been in my daily flow for a few months but we started a 
meditation group called Moonlight Meditations. We, I was invited to it for the first one to kind of kick it off and was a part of mm-hmm. it in Encinitas, California. If anybody's around San Diego, they should go. It's every morning at 6.30 a.m. Uh, at the beach, at this nice. overlook. And it's an amazing, amazing time. It's just some breath work and then 30 minutes silence and then sort of like a blessing at the end with some, you know, uh, you know, all the fun sort of uh, stuff that makes Christians cringe, right? So it's like saging <laughs> at the beginning and all this uh-huh. stuff or whatever, um, which is fun whenever people are like, you're a pastor hanging out at our, you know, I love like people you know, like, okay, whatever, man, you know, cool. <laughs> um, but like, so sitting in silence for 30 minutes, right. Or sometimes like we would do a 40 minute, you know, and really develop that practice of where I really was able to, to do that. Um, but do you ever give people like other ways, like other forms, like I mentioned earlier, like transcendental meditation is like a mm-hmm. practice that some people do, which people kind of get been out of shape about, because if you actually want to do the trademarked version mm-hmm. it's like it's expensive and it's pricey yeah, yeah. it's like david lynch you know what i mean who's like yeah. the the guy that i'm pretty sure he's the one that trademarked it you know um mm-hmm. so but you can always get around it by finding some youtube videos from people that spill the beans about it sure, so, sure. Uh, break the rules yeah so what are like some other uh meditation practices where have you drawn from any other traditions mm-hmm. or anything to do more than yeah. maybe silence yeah. Well, the the first the first thing I'd say is I always do encourage to like pick a practice and go deep. Um, sort of better to dig a, a deep well with one tool than like try to dig a bunch of different wells with a du- du- bunch of different tools. But um, my Enneagram Seven is resisting you. I right know now. that. <laughs> the Seven is going to resist that. I get it. <laughs> and um, and it's good to supplement the practices and it is good to taste different orientations good to taste different faith traditions religious traditions so but that is to say i do suggest going deep with one um, but we do need to know which tool to work with yeah and so certainly there's so much value in um in practicing different traditions i i did the vipassana course with goenka g you might be familiar with that mm, yeah I've, I've seen that that's a yeah 10 day my wife and i did it together no talking you know, you don't sleep in the same room. Ten days of ten hours a day of silent meditation. Um, no so books, gnarly. No writing. No reading. No talking. No looking in the eyes of another person because that's considered communication. It's just Whoa. you yourself uh, for ten hours a day of meditation and then walking around and eating. <laughs> um, that's crazy, man. So that. That's that's sort of a resource that always hangs on the edge for me, and that's much more of a concentration practice where there's a, a zeroing in, a zooming in of the concentration of the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do point most people towards practice centering prayer, and then as well as to more open awareness practices or or even okay. I am practices, which is very universal among Buddhists and and various Advaita, non-dual Hindu uh, circles, and that's probably next to centering prayer, just sort of falling into that deep I amness before I am Keith, before I am a man, before I am a meditation teacher, I am, you yeah. know, before I am religious or spiritual. I'm not spiritual. I am. I just yes. am. And so helping people sort of fall into that bare naked presence, I think is a, is a very, uh, very edges on very Christian mysticism as well. Um, yeah. So. That's a good tool, man. That's really good. I love that. Cause even like I was uh, listening to some Alan Watts, which is my, mm-hmm. that's in my own practice within itself in my life. I feel <laughs> like, um, but like he has so much content. It's so great. You know, it's yeah. like, um, but you hear, pick up on these themes, but he's like, even, even spiritual things like that is just an image. That's just something mm-hmm. that points to, you know, it's just this. Yeah. That's what it is. And I love, I love that. Um, it's bringing people into that. It's an awesome tool of meditation. And a lot of times I think some things like that and like transcendental meditation about having like whatever your mantra is. So I'll give you the, you know, save you the thousands of dollars friends about transcendental meditation. You basically <laughs> develop a mantra that you're, you seek your deepest inner self. Like your, if your soul is truly transcendent, you get to a place of, uh, knowing the soul, opening up the heart and allowing your soul to give you a mantra 
And you just essentially repeat that mantra, you know, and, and allow that to reprogram you in alignment to your soul mm-hmm. and your truest self, you know, at least that's been what the guys that, you know, uh, give away the, the goodies on YouTube tell me. <laughs> so <laughs> they could be lying, but, um, but I love having those tools for people um, as supplemental silence practices to help mm-hmm. give an intention to their mind to utilize the thoughts as energy pieces, you know, mm-hmm. like if our thoughts are creating, if they are giving, if they are, if we are made in the image and likeness of God as being creators, as the creator creates my energy in my head, my thoughts is, can create these things. And so I think sometimes some meditations as tools can help us create from these places of stillness mm-hmm. and focused intentional practice, you know, mm-hmm. um, so I want to respect your time. And, and as we wrap up, I'm just curious how you reconcile. Uh, and this is kind of a big question. So I'm not sure how you're doing on time, um, but <laughs> take as much as you'd like or as little. How is like your own faith? Do you still uh, find yourself rooted in, in the Christian or the Christ narrative? And, and how do you reconcile maybe pulling from other traditions? And can you talk to me a little bit about where you're at? in your space with, with holding that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, I, I see it as I grew up in a fairly mature and healthy religious household, which was a huge gift that I didn't grow up in some hyper conservative or something that was like all this religious drama and baggage and trauma. And, you know, so many people have that and that that there's so much hurt there. And, and I think I was given a foundation and in a sense was potted in healthy soil. Mm-hmm. And I've just recognized that that pot that I was put in, Christian pot, yeah. <laughs> the evangelical pot, I had to definitely get out of that. I yeah. needed a bigger pot. God was bigger than that little evangelical pot. And then it feels like, well, then I fell in love with Catholic theology and I was considering becoming a Catholic. There was this time when I was writing and studying and discerning whether to be a Franciscan friar. Wow. Um, so I was. that's part of the reason why I went and lived at that Franciscan retreat center. Um, and so then I would thought I was going to be in this bigger pot that was Catholic. And then my root systems outgrew that. And I thought, well, God's bigger than the Catholic church. And so <laughs> I feel like at this point, I've been like planted in the, in the garden rather than feeling like I have to remain in the Christian pot. This is mm-hmm. like, there's Christian pots over here and they do this fruits and then there's Buddhists and then there's Jewish and we're all in a unique pot, but rather to recognize that we're in the garden of life together Mm. um, and that my roots still cling to this Christian soil. So um, it's not like I shook off all that Christianity. It's actually all still there, all the good stuff. It's that transcend and include. I've certainly, in a sense, transcended my evangelical faith. Totally transcended that, but it included the good things, that God is personal, that relational energy with the divine. Yeah, Um, yeah. And so that's what I feel. And, And I still draw the Christian mystics are certainly my like go-to source. Like that's the people that I drink with every day. Yeah. Um, But I've sort of asked myself over the years, am I a Christian that happens to be contemplative or am I a contemplative that happens to be Christian? Mm. What is the essence of my identity? And I've sort of fallen in line with I'm more universally. What's more universally true of me is that I'm a contemplative and the Christian identity comes second to that. So mm, that's really good. And so you've wrestled with that for a while and, and feel like that is a good flow for, for you to be able to identify yourself as. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. I think it's a way of including the, like the beauty of Christianity. It's a, a way of including the transcendent nature of God that's bigger than Christianity. So therefore I can be bigger than my own Christian faith. Yeah. That's so and good. I think that's, what's needed for whatever sort of new era of Christianity that has been emerging for, you know, a lot, it's been around for a lot of years, a lot of times marginalized and on the fringes Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, burned at the stake for and all sorts of fun stuff (laughs) throughout the ages. But uh, it's becoming, I think, a lot more different um, than we've ever experienced it before by way of like some of the modern names like Brian McLaren and Rob Bell and Richard Mm -hmm. Rohr and the work of the liturgists and all these folks are, are helping kind of give birth to this Christ rooted in Christ 
centered in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. depending on who you talk to, way of being, but yet not as like an exclusive um, sort of, you know, convert oriented sort sure. of uh, way and being in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we, as we wrap up, um, can you talk to me just a little bit about uh, your course and uh, what's happening with that? And, um, you know, maybe a little preview of what people could expect if they want to engage you and participate in your work and in what you're doing, which I highly recommend <laughs> for people yeah. to do. Yeah, Luke, thanks. I think uh, I'm trying to, I don't know when we last did talk. I think I was just creating the Closer Than Breath course, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, months months ago. But um, yeah, it closer had to been almost breath. a year ago, huh? Like, <laughs> I, wasn't it? Or maybe. It must have been. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. We're at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe it was. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'll have to look but, back and see. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So this course, it's a self-paced video-based course. So it's a mix of, uh, essentially, it's a meditation course on the method of centering prayer. I offer it from an interfaith approach. But the reality is it's very Christian, contemplative, Christian, mystical in yeah. form. But it's it's accessible and wide enough that I think just about anybody could partake. Just like mindfulness, you know, is born out of Buddhism. You don't have to be a Buddhist to practice mindfulness. And yoga yeah. is you know, yoga is born out of Hinduism. You don't have to be Hindu to practice yoga. That's how it is with centering prayer. You don't necessarily have to believe the things to be to practice centering prayer, but it certainly fits those that are in that belief structure. So, um, yeah, so it's a, you know, it's a course to get you going from level 101 to on fire with the practice by the end of the six weeks. And um, it's due through bite-sized videos. And then I offer weekly centering prayer sets. So weekly meditation sits essentially twice a week, um, which are just like given the contemplative community, the support community, because meditation sucks. Sometimes it's like, oh, it's so peaceful and beautiful. Now let's be honest and struggle together and get together and talk about it or yes. talk about the beautiful experiences. So um, yeah. When really does that excited. start? When does it start? So there, that course is ongoing. I'll have another launch for it in the beginning of January. So cool. Awesome. So friends, uh, definitely check that out. If this is something that's new to you or like a lot of these conversations have been about um, deconstruction, reconstruction. Um, I, for me, just from my own experience, like I said, meditation was definitely that catalyst that like started on a path of mature spirituality of reconstruction. And so if anyone's listening to this, anyone, anyone period, but especially I think for those who are deconstructing and they're, they're ready to kind of uh, move beyond the ideas and theology dissonance and move into something that's going to be more whole and bring integration, bring a sense of purpose and uh, self-awareness, divine awareness, which to say one is to say the other, Atman and Brahman, I don't know, all that goodness if you want to get uh, Hindu with it. But uh, I think that this is a really good thing for people uh, to be able to take. So friends, you should absolutely take Keith up on this course. And it's six weeks. What's there to lose? So Mm -hmm. it's good. Nothing to lose but your ego. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so well, good. Luke, I did want to offer uh, the 25% discount to, to your to your listeners. So there'll be a discount code for those that want to put in uh, spiritual nomad. So awesome. There if you if anybody needed any more reason to do it, or if you've already purchased it uh in the last 10 seconds, <laughs> you know <laughs> you're like already doing it. Um yeah, thank you very much, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for offering that. And so friends, 25% off is amazing. So definitely do that and um, keep in touch with me about how it's going through it. And that's one thing too, I think with this, as we just end is this community of people who are going through deconstruction, entering reconstruction, it is about creating community. And so certainly make Mm -hmm. myself available. I know Keith's very active um, online and on Instagram. And so if you have questions about meditation or the course, you know, uh, speaking for you, I'm sorry, but reach out to Keith about it. You know, if you have questions mm-hmm. about it, uh, before you do it, if you want to reach out to me, how that's, you know, impacted and shaped, you know, do that, uh, because we need each other and don't be shy about it because it's, it's important stuff. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Keith. Any final parting uh, words of wisdom? Mm. 
I think not. I think I just encourage practice above all else. Yeah. That integration piece. So, yeah. So good. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Keith. Yeah. Thanks, Luke. Good to be with you, man. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. As always, we would love for you to subscribe, leave a review, and share this channel with a friend. If you would like to financially support the Spiritual Nomad Project, visit thespiritualnomad.org slash give. To contact Luke, you can email him directly, luke at thespiritualnomad.org, or send a direct message on Instagram. Until next time, grace, peace, and love.